The following episode is from the Bloody Bloods Archive, as a part of November's potluck of past releases. This episode was recorded June 2021 for Pride Month, but here on the podcast, we appreciate queer horror any month, so enjoy the episode. BBCC episode 55, my realization of the day. So what I've learned from these past episodes have been we've spent a good amount of time comparing queer folks and monsters within the genre, uh, metaphorically and literally. And so what I guess what I've learned is the gays are vampires, the bisexuals are werewolves, and the pansexuals are mermaids? Question mark. We will elaborate more on that last bit shortly, but let's go ahead and start the show. Yes, we are doing it once more. Hello, hello. It is your boy, Devon Taylor, a.k.a. Daddy Disco, on Twitter and Instagram, and this is the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. This is a podcast where we take a look at our favorite horror movies, franchises, whatever, and we uh, take a look at the subgenres within. Every month has a different theme, so we are getting extra queer around here. Not that we haven't taken a look at queer movies in the past, but... You know, I I consider this a horror movie podcast. I don't uh, advertise it as a queer uh, horror movie podcast. I mean, I obviously am queer, and me hosting it makes it a queer podcast, though it isn't, you know, the focus or anything. Like, I don't want people, you know, thinking that we're getting into, you know, deep queer themes every episode because, one, I'm not as knowledgeable as I should be in certain aspects, but that's why I had, you know, all these special guests come on from uh, the queer community and um, have these conversations about these queer films. So I am uh, super excited to close it out with our fourth episode uh, selection of movies. And of course, I have a guest waiting in the wings because we are talking a couple mermaid movies today. We are going to be talking about Blew My Mind and for the first time on the show, we will be doing a redux. Um, We're going to be talking about the lore. Now, uh, we covered the lore uh, back in, like, whenever we did horror musicals, um, and when me and Maggie were recording that episode, we were kind of tight on time, and we spent more time talking about her film, um, so we really only got to talk the lore for, like, 10 minutes. Um, I tried to get in as much as I could within those 10 minutes, but, I mean, I love this movie so much, and those 10 minutes don't do it justice. So, whenever um, the guest suggested blew my mind, uh, I figured it was a time to give the lore its due. So, those are the two movies we're going to be talking about, and let's go ahead and bring in our guest. Uh, They are a writer for various horror outlets with a book on the way with previous guest Ren Crane, and is also a wicked talented musician. Welcome to the show, Ten Backy. Hey, how's it going? Good. <laughs> How are you? So glad to have you on the show. 
Yeah, no, I'm doing great. I uh, I know I mentioned this before, but when you reached out and I heard it was a horror podcast and I heard that it was called Bloody Blunts, I was like, wait, you're talking about weed, you're talking about movies. And then you said you want to do queer episodes. I was like, is this made for me? I had to come on. I was super excited. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is, yeah, I feel like we definitely uh, kindred spirits and uh, definitely this is uh, the show made for you. So we are going to have a really good time. Um, Sweet. So um, before we get into the movies for the episode, we always like to take a minute to get to know our guest a little bit. And um, what I've been asking the previous guests uh, for these episodes, you know, is, um, you know, not only one, when did horror become a passion for you, but also... Um, what does it mean to be a queer artist in the uh, horror community? Wow, both great questions. I uh, <laughs> I guess I really started to get into horror. Well, first of all, let me say when I was younger, I did like horror a lot. I remember watching like The Ring and like Grudge and stuff, being very young and being like, this is the scariest shit I've ever seen. And I like couldn't stop looking <laughs> like I just couldn't stop you know but I think really as I grew up I, I wasn't like the kind of person that was like horror is my life until I was probably about I don't know <clears throat> maybe 18 or 19 I remember seeing the movie dead alive for the first time um mm. or brain dead as it's called in some countries uh and it was so funny and so over the top and the gore and the sleaze and just how amazing that film was it kind of changed my life I was like this is the best thing I've ever seen and I became immediately hooked on horror and since that day I just haven't stopped <laughs> I just can't stop yeah there's there's something about it that like you know there's a moment you know when you're obviously you know terrified of what you're seeing but then like you said like there's something about it that just keeps drawing you back in and like you know it's terrifying but yet you want to experience it you know like that's yes. something that's very unique to horror fans you know as far as when it comes to you know genres of any other movie you know like something about that I don't know what it is you know that like what the, <laughs> what the word is for like I know I don't want to see this but I also do want to see this like yeah I, no you're spot on yeah and, and um I remember I saw a documentary on Shudder like a while back, uh, basically diving into what is horror. It might have just been called like what is horror or why horror or something. And um, and they basically talked about like all the different reasons why people like horror so much. And like it was really interesting. And they did talk about like heavy stuff. But then on some parts, it it was really just saying, cause it's cool. Like people just like it. They just like want to watch it and they find themselves calmed by seeing it. Yeah. You know, there's a strange comfort to, you know, I think it's whenever you are, you're scared of something, there's that fear, you know, but then being able to explore that fear in a safe way, I think is where the comfort comes from, Yes, you know, yes. in being able to dive into horror films and, why it makes you like kind of feel better in a way you know and especially in this past year kind of even changed a little bit just because of like you know I used to find a lot more uh comfort in horror movies um as far as like you know I would watch something like you know super fucked up when I was down or angry or something like that but then it was like you know I went to it in a different way you know when uh, you know, we were locked down for, you know, the better part of the past year. 
And then I would be like, you know what? I actually don't want to watch depressing stuff. But then I would try to find <laughs> weirder things. That was my yeah, thing. The something past, like, different. Yeah, the past nine months, it's like, you know what? I just want to try and find like what's as weird as possible. Because like, I guess typically, you know, it's like the horrors of the real world, you know, are already a little scarier than anything, you know, that could possibly happen in a horror film. But then when things, you know, were put in this circumstance and it's very outside the norm, then it's like, okay, that means the horror has to go up in that level as well. So now I'm like, I need to get just like weirder. So that way it like separates even further from like real life. I honestly can completely hear where you're coming from on that. There's definitely been a couple films I've watched in this last year that I've actually seen before even that I watched them and I was like, oh, wow, this movie feels way different now. Like it doesn't bring the same feelings to me that it did before because I've seen so many different things and experienced so many different things in this past, you know, year and a half that those, uh, those feelings just, I don't, I don't know if they'll ever be the same or if they're always going to be different now, but I know exactly what you mean by that. Yeah, totally. Like, cause for, for a hot minute, you know, reality just didn't feel real. It felt like we were in the movie. So it's like when, especially like mm-hmm, watching mm-hmm. like self-contained, you know, movies or like people getting like locked in circumstances is like, yeah, those movies hit a little differently now. Uh, than they did before absolutely yes exactly that I, I feel like the the one that I saw pop up a lot for everybody I mean you know for obvious reasons but then like just for how far ahead this movie was was like uh, everybody was like yo contagion that's literally now but like contagion like came out I've 10 heard years that. ago I mean it's so yeah. close to like yeah. the way that things unfolded and the way that people would respond to it like it was it's eerie I could honestly see that a movie that I that came to my mind was I wouldn't say it's necessarily like the same thing, but there's a movie called The Bar. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's Russian, I believe. I've seen a Spanish version. I don't know. Oh, you know what? No, you know what it is. It is Spanish. I'm sorry. Yes, you're right. Yeah, I have seen that. I love it. Yeah. Well, they get they're like locked inside that bar and there's like the government's covering it up and all this stuff. I was watching it you know, after uh, having been locked away and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is like, this is real. Like, <laughs> this is real shit right here. Like, wow, this really changed my perspective on it, you know? Yeah, I, I liken the bar to like a, it's like the more darkly comedic version of um of The Mist. So yeah, oh, yeah, more. definitely. Yeah. Like, the bar is if The Mist was actually fun. <laughs> I liked the characters. Yeah, I liked the characters in the bar a little bit better. Like something about them was more interesting to me. Not that they were good people, but like I just I liked them better in the film. I I enjoyed seeing them more. Totally. Yeah, it's a a fun little collection of characters. Um, Definitely a really uh, good movie. I remember I saw that festival a few years ago. I think it is on Netflix currently. Um, so if you guys have not seen uh, oh, The Bar, sweet. check it out. It's either on Netflix or Hulu. It's on one of the two. So definitely check it out. And I mean, that works out perfectly. I didn't even have to ask you about a recent movie that you've seen that you wanted to shout. So, <laughs> uh, luckily. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've seen it. Yeah, like I have seen it before, but like it's just one that came to mind, you know? Yeah, that like, you know, again, like it just hits a little differently. Um, and then so the thing that I will shout out before we get to the main movies is 
Um, and I've done this uh, the past couple episodes. Again, not a horror movie, not even a movie. I mean, it's kind of a movie. But um, if you guys have not seen Bo Burnham's recent uh, comedy special, oh. Inside, you could say that it's a psychological horror movie of sorts. Um, as you so good, yeah. Like I mean. I shouldn't have been surprised, honestly, on how good it is. I mean, I've been a massive Bo Burnham fan. Like, I mean, he was one of the original, like, viral YouTubers. And then, I mean, to see what he's done oh, now. Yeah. But um, every special, he he steps it up, you know, in one way or another. Even and, more. And just, like, the way he approaches his directing and the, the way he was able to take feelings and emotions that everybody's been feeling of the past year but, you know, can't put into words or can't express it in a way. You know, he managed to not only capture his personal feelings and journey of, you know, what it was like to be quarantined, but, like I said, like, he he taps into, in a way, of the feelings that, like, everybody could relate to as a whole. It's like, you know... It was so good. Yeah. Sometimes you're laughing, but then he'll hit you with, like, a fucking truth bomb that comes out of nowhere, and then you're just like, oh... Yes, 100%. So um, if uh, you guys have not seen Bo Burns' new special, it's on Netflix. Go check it out. It's a masterpiece because he's a fucking genius. I agree completely. Seriously, that special blew me away. Yeah, it's it, it's one of those ones that it'll keep you thinking. And and again, I love seeing the evolution of uh, Bo Burnham's uh, directing, obviously, you know, because he's directed all of his other specials too, even before he did eighth grade. But like uh, after working on a feature you can see the the difference it made in his uh filmmaking so uh love it love it so much but i think we are about warmed up and ready to talk about our double feature of mermaids for the episode yes Blew My Mind, released in 2017, written and directed by Lisa Bruhlman, uh, with writing help from Dominic Loker as well. This is a Swiss film. Um, it is in Swiss, uh, Swiss German is the language, uh, second week in a row that we're uh, talking some foreign features. Um, love it, and two foreign features today, so very excited for that. Um, and it follows a girl who is, uh, she just moves to a new high school with her parents. You know, the parents' relationship is strained, their relationship's a little strained, and obviously all the new things that come with being the new girl, uh, on top of, you know, going through uh, body changes as she matures into a woman, Um, but in this case with some monstrous side effects uh, when she figures out she's a mermaid. So, um, one... Make sure you guys go watch the film if you have not seen it before you listen to the episode because we're going to spoil everything. So please make sure you go watch it um, unless you don't want to watch it and you just want to hear our thoughts. Then go ahead and stay. Do what you want. <laughs> but um, but anyways, 10, why did you want to talk about this film today? Uh, honestly, you know, it's not something that like I've loved for years and years or whatever. I mean, it's not that old of a movie. But um, I saw it for the first time. I don't know the date. I want to say it was last year or maybe right at the beginning of this year. And uh, I remember just being completely enthralled in this story. There's a lot of portions of the film where there's so little dialogue, yet you're getting so much story from the characters, the actors, the way that 
the story is set up, like the shots. And honestly, I think a lot of it had to do with kind of reading it as being subtextually trans in, in a sense too, because of her body changes, the way that she experiences them and feels like something's wrong with her through puberty. It, it definitely uh, made me think about myself a lot and kind of reflect on like my childhood at that age. And so it was very like mind. Um, it was very like in my head movie. I was, I was really thinking for a long time after seeing it. And so I, I want other people to experience it and maybe maybe think about stuff too because i i felt good after i thought about it yeah um yeah i definitely could see the um you know various queer readings within this um that's what i started thinking about halfway through i was like this feels like a trans story in a way um and as we also see yeah you know, i definitely felt that yeah and it's like between like obviously you know the uh the body changes aspect there but then also the the fact that our protagonist mia there's um a, a sense of attraction between one of her um yes gianna her, yeah her gal pal gianna uh which she has a wonderful arc throughout the movie um so good the the characters is definitely what stands out from this movie because you know i will say we've we've seen you know this kind of story before as far as the um, yeah. using a monster transformation as an allegory for puberty. Um, we, we've definitely seen that before, but however, it is the implied, you know, queer uh, readings that you can get out of this uh, that make it feel a little bit different. And where it does set itself apart is in the performances. Um, I would say the writing of the characters are really good. Um, I had never seen this film before. Um, and I will say I enjoyed it for the most part. I didn't love it because it feels just too short. You know, a lot of the horror elements don't really come in until like, you know, really the last 30 minutes of this movie. There's not a lot of horror going on, uh, which I that's was like, pretty fair. Yeah. I was, I was expecting a little bit more, but when it does, kick, you know in, what? Oh, sorry. What were you saying? No, go ahead. I will say that the things that the, that she goes through, um, outside of the like the body horror, like the body transformations, there's a lot of really heavy things that happen, like with uh, sex and with drugs and like the people around her, and like you kind of see like that sort of like look into the culture, like where she lives and like uh, her mm -hmm. life, and I a lot of that, um, you know, was really dark, and I I found that extremely intriguing. And while I don't necessarily wouldn't call that horror on its own, it definitely added a level of like drama and like intensity through the film that that had me sticking through that was what I was able to be like wow like I connected with some of that you know oh yeah like I will totally agree there I mean it is a horror in a way you know it's a horror in a way that I would compare like euphoria right now like uh euphoria makes people so uncomfortable that like a lot of people don't you know it's not a it's not always a pleasurable watch because people are also like watching and going oh wow is this how like teenagers are right now and it's like yeah it's you know um dramatized to a sense but at the same time and it's like yeah this is the way that teens are right now you know and the in the fact that they have access to so much more you know so it's like they have this intensified you know sex sex drive and need to uh, cause trouble and you know all these things you know that they are wanting to explore their sexuality and wanting to do drugs with their friends and like it, it, it's not just to be like a oh like you know that's not 
how it is these days because like maybe 15 years ago if people weren't doing it to the fashion that they do in this movie but it is a real thing it's like you know if you're not in that world like you know you don't know that and just the the pressure that Mia feels throughout the film just to be accepted by the friend group but then she's also you know they're exploring their sexuality and um trying to figure things out so it's like she's trying to figure things out while also trying to just figure out how to fit in and have friends with these you know the the popular girls they're kind of kind of mean but kind of not yeah uh, yeah great, great characters no, yeah, study right. though absolutely i i really really like gianna's character a lot um her friend who she kind of like has feelings for and obviously in the end they kind of you know she has feelings for her back like there very clearly is something there not even subtextually it's very very much like Mm -hmm. they care about each other a lot yeah like it's really cool because like they kind of set jana up and she's the the leader of these girls and they're kind of mean at first and you like think it's gonna be one of the cases like oh they bring her in just to like make fun of her or just to like humiliate or something but it's like you know they're giving her a tough time at first but they are you know bringing her in and becoming friends with her and yeah and then there's this you know uh, attraction that's there and I also like that it wasn't like the focus of the film though it was um they they put scenes in and like they wouldn't even have to draw attention to it it was just in the in the performances you know the the looks that they would give each other and like the the lingering um of like watching like whenever they like uh show close up on like like skin of some sort and like kind of just getting oh yeah that was genius yeah like the the way that they would use like the editing and other things like that to you know flesh out this um, attraction that they're both kind of exploring but at the same time they are exploring um, having sex with boys as well so there's there's a lot going on and kind of set up like it's going to be that typical relationship that you see in a film but instead like they they have this you know blossoming friendship but then they have these moments of flirtation and attraction and, and again it's you know it's just little small things here and there and like there there's a scene when they're in the at a party and they're dancing and they finally kiss, and it's, like, one of maybe three times that Mia smiles the entire movie, and I really like the way that they frame the kiss in that way, which is, like, just, like, a really cool detail to, like, emphasize that moment. Yeah, like, I definitely feel like, even though she is shown with men and women and whatever in this film, like, I definitely get uh, the vibe that she is more so interested in being with uh, her girl, like the girl that she spends the time with the most, because when she's with the guys, she never is seemingly enjoying it. Almost seems like she was just doing it. Like, cause she felt like she should, you know, like to almost like to like impress her friends in a certain aspect. I remember there was like that conversation with like, Oh, you're so cool that you, uh, they call it bouncing in the movie. You bounced, mm-hmm. you know, you did it with this guy. Like, but like in the end, like it didn't really seem like she was interested in any of them. It really just seemed like she wanted to be with Gianna from Italy from the first time they went into Gianna's bedroom. And like she was looking at her, you mentioned that skin, that close up of her skin. And like that scene sticks with me for sure. Yeah, it's like um, I, it, I feel like she did any of the, you know, the sexual acts throughout the film and in a way to, you know, maybe again, like you said, to fit in or in a sense of, you know, when people are kind of 
exploring their um sexuality whether yeah like whether it be you know whether she's bisexual or pansexual or right um, right. because it's like she just wants to put on like well this is just what's normal and what people aren't going to question or what's quote-unquote normal you know yes but yeah so like presenting it in that way because i I wouldn't say like she seemed disinterested in the boys no not entirely but definitely more interested in Gianna. And then um, we'll kind of talk about it more in the lore, but like, you know, the attraction, you know, both ways too, because, you know, once Gianna finds Mia and sees her in her like mermaid form at the end of the film, she doesn't like literally question anything or bat an eye. No. It is, <laughs> she just wants to get her safe and help Mia and then, like, at the end of the movie, you know, there's in the back of the truck holding hands while the girl next to her has a big old fish tail. So it's like, yeah. you know, that's like kind of the like literal sense in like, you know, pansexual people who aren't attracted to anyone, you know, defined by gender. But then also I like, love that. But also like maybe not defined by species either. You know? Yeah, no, I really like this pansexual read. I, I hadn't considered it that way. When I was seeing those scenes, I remember feeling like, because I told you earlier that I um, I thought of it in like a lot of like trans ways, like maybe she finally was accepting like, oh, this is who I'm supposed to be. And like her friend was like, I accept that you're different than these other people. And like, you know, and that you're your body is differently now or whatever. I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting, but I like this pansexual read too, or bisexual read where it, you know, it's kind of like she loves my Mia no matter what, you know, and like she doesn't care that she has a tail or whatever. She's just like sad. And I think there's also a scene right after that where they're on the beach before Mia goes in the water and she says like, are you afraid? And she says, I'm not afraid. And that, that line is fantastic. I think it's like the last line in the movie. So it, it, so good yeah like that last scene is where i definitely can uh see a lot of the trans readings of you know it's like you know it shocked me at first obviously what was happening but then like in those last 10 minutes of the film she has a completely different demeanor like the actress like switched up everything she was doing about mia and then she all of a sudden had this you know quiet confidence and like and realizing that like after you know the the slow changing process you know throughout the film then once she sees that okay well this is you know who i am what i am she immediately like is comfortable you know she's about to go out to the sea or the ocean she doesn't know where she's gonna go she doesn't know like what she truly is um the mystery of you know who her true parents are never solved in the film either but yet she is just ready and like you know not afraid and self-assured to be like well, this is my life now. I'm about to jump in the water and this is me, you know? So like, that's, I would say like, you know, where I can see the trans reading of like, okay, this is finally the physicality that I feel comfortable in. And now, you know, I'm ready, you know, for whatever life has. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and, and again, we'll bring this up like again when we talk about the lore, because I think they almost lean into the, the trans reading a smidge stronger than they do in this. Oh, so. my God. I will have so much to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, but yeah, but before we, uh, you know, move on, there's some other things I wanted to talk about in this movie as well as is, um, is the writing. I think um, this is a 
really a uh, well done screenplay again and like not only capturing the essence of like you know current teenagers and the way that they speak and things like that but then also obviously i am not a i'm not a teenage girl never been a teenage girl however i do have three younger sisters um that i've watched grow up and there is a you know and this is a I'm I'm making a generalization here. This goes, you know, goes for boys as well. But like, I feel like when a young girl turns 13 or 14 or 15, like in that range, no matter what personality they had up to that point for at least a little bit, they just turn into an unreasonably just like irritable person. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like they just get so annoyed and like and and you don't know why and and it's a teenage thing in general but like i said just in my experience of like watching my younger sisters versus my younger brothers one of my sisters was so sweet growing up um you know the the lovey-dovey one she was naive and innocent and everything and then i was like you know what maybe her teenage years won't be so bad and then all of a sudden i'm just like who are you why do you talk like this? Why are you so annoyed? I didn't do anything. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, I, I feel that. I mean, when I was a teenager, I definitely had different phases of, like, who am I and, like, what, what do I want to be and finding annoyance in things or thinking, you know, not caring about stuff I cared about before or, like, you know, deciding what it is that, like, I do care about. And I think, honestly, I think it's something a lot of people go through with that age, for real. And I'm sure, honestly, a lot of it does have to do with uh, puberty and with, like, hormones and going into your body. Like, I mean, that is, like, an age that a lot of people experience that for the first time. And it's foolish to say that doesn't affect, like, everything about you, like, when you start to feel those things. So, I, I could totally see where you're coming from on that. And this girl's uh, Mia is 15, I think, really in this movie the whole time. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yes, or 16. They, it's like right before her birthday or something. I couldn't remember. Yeah, because when she meets up with the online dude, she tells That's him right. that, that she's actually 16 and not 18. That's right. Yes. Um. But yeah, like there. But this this film like just like captures that in like such a like accurate relatable way of just like there's a point where um because this is like really before like too many of like the changes are even happening there's already this you know tension between her parents who are you know they're distant from each other even though they're still living together but and then the move and everything but there's at one point Mia's just super annoyed and the dad goes I don't get it you have everything and it's like (laughs) when you kind of think about for like just a split moment it's like yeah it's like what is she complete like what is she so upset about other than you know moving and being the new girl but like at the same time like when you like look at it for like a split second it's like yeah you really don't have too much to complain about or be upset yeah like about. she does have like you know a house and like a family and like she goes to school and exactly stuff. So, like i mean you know but when you're a kid it doesn't feel like that exactly <laughs> and like obviously there's you know other things going on below the surface but like when you look at the 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 picture for a hot second you're like yeah, you, you you got it pretty decent, you know, but it's just like, again, like when you're that age, it's just like that next level of emotions and you don't really know how to deal with them yet. So it's just like, ah, I'm just like upset, like already. And I don't know, just like that specific thing, um, it, I thought just was, it was acted really well. 
um, but then also written really well uh, from the teenagers. Yeah, no, I love the performances and I'll keep coming back to this, but there's actually a lot of scenes in this movie with no dialogue where stuff is happening that like, I'm, you know, I obviously haven't read the screenplay, but I would like to see um, what it says because there's scenes like, where uh, they shoplift. I mean, and they don't say anything that entire scene they're shoplifting except for like run and then they run outside and they get chased and they're outside and they're on a bridge and they still haven't said anything and they're just kind of laughing and then they take shots together and then they like, you know, flash the drivers and then they're like about to kiss and stuff. And through that entire scene, like there's no, there's like almost no dialogue. And Mia is super quiet throughout a, a lot of this film. And I think that the reason that there's no dialogue is because we're kind of seeing a lot of it through her perspective. And I thought that was really fantastic because you really fall for the characters, even if their only lines are like, you know, ha ha, like, yeah, like, and you're, you're like, oh, but something about them still gets me because the performances were so good and the way it's shot is so good. Yeah, that I, I really do love that scene. Uh, that is a fun scene. And I mean, I'm a proponent of less dialogue is better in most movies, in my opinion. Like, I'm not a big dialogue person myself. So it's like, I love why I can see, like you said, like these things just told, whether it be through the performances or the way that it's shot. Because um, like you said, it's like they, they start shoplifting and they just kind of show, like, you know, they're showing them, like, try on these products and then, you know, how they're putting them in their bag. And Mia just kind of watches them one by one. And instead of, like, you know, like, in a typical movie where they'd go, oh, what's going on? Are we stealing? Well, what's the plan? Like, there would be this whole conversation, but there isn't. Like, she gathers what's happening, you know, what's going on. Like, oh, these girls are stealing. Like, this is what we're doing. And then she's like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to go ahead and do it now, too. And then, yeah, and then the rest of the scene plays out when they're getting chased by the security guard. And it's just them laughing and pulling each other and, you know, like, not a lot of dialogue going on. And then, yeah, and then ends in just that that one scene where they're looking into each other's eyes for a hot second. They're about to kiss, and you're like, yes, yes. And then, of course, we get cucked for, for a hot minute. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like, the, the, the way it shot the... um performances uh mia is played by luna wedler um definitely want to give her a good shout out because um she she really is i think the best part of this film her and jana uh in general um yeah jana was played by zoe uh pastelle haltuzin i don't know how to pronounce her last name but we're close we're close (laughs) trying i mean these are these are the easier names to pronounce too like when it comes to the lord we're not gonna be able to pronounce anything so this is oh yeah no <laughs> i'll take this for now but um as as we you know i mentioned there's this kiss and well there's not this kiss they're they're about to kiss here um and just some other um uh queer things that i did want to bring up while i wanted to backtrack when they were uh hanging out at gianna's house and um they are doing the thing where they like you know huff in and out and like the other person chokes them to like pass out which this yeah. is I totally was one of those teenagers like me and I literally did that, but I didn't do it the way they did it, but I literally did that. It's so funny. Yeah. Like we, like I remember doing that at similar age. We do it like up against a wall. I remember. Yeah. That's (laughs) what we did too. Yeah. (laughs) It seems so stupid now, but like I did it. Oh, it seems, it's so dumb. Um, the, the only other movie that I can like think off the top of my head that like also shows this like very specific teenage thing 
is um 20th century women they have a scene where the the main character he does it but then like he like doesn't wake up for like 20 minutes so they actually show like how dumb it actually is um but in this one you know it kind of plays a little sensually because again we've watched Mia kind of gaze at Gianna and the other two gals and you know we have this close-up of the skin and everything and then when we have this you know this pass out scene but involving choking you know obviously it feels a little kinky and uh the sexual tension in that it even in this like weird scene is definitely there and, and like I felt like that was like a, a f- it's a fun scene to like you know not only hit on like the teenage beats but then also hit on the sexual tension beats as well absolutely and you know when I first saw this movie uh the very first time I had hadn't really heard anything about it. I definitely didn't know that it was queer, but the moment they got in that bedroom and the girls were all laughing together and you see from Mia's point of view, like the close up of like Shanna's skin and stuff. I was like, oh, wow, this is gay. Like this is, I was immediately like, oh, like that's queer. Like this is it. Now the rest of the movie, I know like this is, <laughs> that's what it's going to be. And when they were choking each other um, to pass out or whatever, same thing. It's kind of like you said, it's really interesting because this movie and also I don't actually know how old the characters are supposed to be in the lore, but they have a very young look about them. And in this film, they're, they are you know 16 years old so it's very interesting the way that they can talk about sexuality and they can talk about these things through this point of view and through this lens because you know I've definitely seen it done the wrong way and I I found the way that they did in this movie was really really uh interesting and and it felt really real yeah they definitely do a really good job with it um I and it's like I got worried for a moment that they weren't gonna handle these things well when there was uh uh, the scene where they're in the bathroom and Gianna is um, doing a pregnancy test and she like doesn't know how and then they're like telling her what to do and then they're like waiting for the results and they're like all locked arms together and I was like this is kind of corny and I hope they don't handle like these other subjects like this um, but, yeah mm-hmm. but they do handle like all these other uh, things like very well I do remember just like it during that scene being like oh man I hope they're not gonna be like all like weird and immature with like certain things like this yeah mm-hmm. and there is um there is some really heavy scenes later on in the film where Mia is on drugs and then she gets I think drugged even more by that guy at the party mm-hmm. and they kind of like blindfold her and all this stuff and it's very very heavy um you know uh, Gianna comes in and and stops the whole thing and it's really dramatic and it's really intense and it's really kind of a very, like almost at the peak of the film if not it you know one of the one of the peak moments and it's just you know I'm, I'm comfortable in the sense that I should be while watching it but I'm also very much like wow like this is like reality and like this is what like these actions can lead to like you know it's it's hard you put yourself and environments and the, there are people out there that want to hurt you and it's sad and it's real and it, it really got me it was really really uh handled well during those scenes that I, that I think were important and I I could see what you mean about like the pregnancy scene like when she finds out she's not pregnant they're like yes or whatever and it's like you know it's like cheesy but like I I think that when it came down to like the important parts they mm-hmm. really kind of toned it to the right level that it should be yeah, oh yeah, I would agree 100%. That scene 
you know, it definitely it, it took me for a loop for a sec because I mean, like the movie is fairly fairly subdued. Uh, I would yeah. say like it's everything is very subdued, very subtle, and then we kind of get like a little stylistic change when we like get to this party, and either it's like I don't know if either the the resolution or maybe they color grade it differently. Like there's a distinct like difference in like the aesthetic. Big time. Yeah. When they go to that party and I really like the way that it was like shot with like the slow-mo and the uh the music and stuff, which I wish they did a little bit more throughout the film. Um, yeah, me too. But I, I thought it was cool though, and it like it was a progression because like one thing that like they also like did a really good job of progressing throughout the movie, it was like the usage of drugs, you know, Mia's usage, um, as far as, you know, getting in with the other girls. Um, but you know, they progressively go from, Oh, we're just smoking cigarettes and then okay, now we're doing this. Okay. Oh, now we're at the uh Connie land and we're doing MDMA. How yeah. are sixteen year olds finding MDMA? I can barely find MDMA. Now. <laughs> I mean, I don't that's fair. I hear you on that. But I also think it might be different in, you know, Switzerland. True. Yeah, very true. Could be different. Um, but there is a progression though, um, you know, that they um show with Mia's exploration of drugs. But then it's like we get to this party and you know, she's starting to, you know. This is, like, when she's, like, really starting to feel the effects and changes of, like, what's going on. Yeah. Um, so she's, like, in this, you know, this is after she discovers she has gills. Um, and it's, yeah. like, the, the fishier she gets, the friskier she gets um, because she, like, gets to this party oh, and she's, you know, feeling it, feeling it, dancing yeah. and everything. And, um, you know, goes in with the boys. And it's a, yeah, the, the scene, I was, like, whoa, this is um, a lot. And it's like, you know, they, they drug her, they're taking advantage of her. Um, but it's like, you know, she goes to this party and she's like already like kind of in this. She took, yeah, she took her mom's Benz like uh, beforehand mm -hmm. and like was drinking and and stuff before she even went. So it wasn't good, but, um, I do like that they don't, um, they don't like sexualize the scene at all. Like they make it feel very gross and disturbing. Like the way that it's yes. shot, they're in this like dark room and like these multiple yes. guys in a circle. Like there's nothing sexy about it at all. No. It's meant yeah. to, you know, obviously I, I'd say that is a testament to having a female director um, doing these scenes. You know, I'm sure she made Luna Wedler feel very comfortable shooting the scene, but it's, I, uh, yeah. But it's, I hope so. But it's it's tensely shot though, so it's like you know this is it's very uncomfortable, and then um, but I did love that Jana came in, you know, and like put a stop to the whole thing because I was I was like worried that like what if it was gonna be like a you know they weren't able to stop it or something like that, but like that's whenever yeah like you know seeing. I feel like that's something that's not shown in a lot of films either. Like when a sexual assault is happening and then like a fellow female friend helps like stop it. I don't think I've really seen that too much. And the way that it was shot was very intense, but then it like made me very happy because I was also like, that was like the moment I was like, you know, it's like, that's when you see like how much they truly care about each other. Like how like scared Jana was for Mia, like when she came in. You know, like she was terrified, like uh, Zoe's performance in this scene is like tremendous. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Because just like the night before or two nights before or whatever is the scene where um, Gianna drowns and 
mm-hmm. Mia saves her and then just leaves, like runs off. And like, and they get in that fight because she goes to her house and she tells her, like, get the fuck out. And she like throws a bottle at her. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, they could have ended their friendship or their relationship or whatever right there. But like Gianna just cares so much about Mia that she was like, I don't care that we're fighting. Like, this is not okay and I need to help you. Yeah, like it's um again, like they just have really great progression of their relationship throughout the film. And then um during the scene too, um, like, you know, while everything the struggles going on, the boys are pulling her pants off, and then that's when they see like all the scaly skin on her legs and everything. And mm-hmm. it's like the pinnacle of a recurring motif throughout the film of men being grossed out by female bodies. Um, yeah, because I think that's like, you know, they're playing it out, obviously, with the the um, mermaid transformation. But like, you know, this this is a thing that like, you know, like has been shown in other films before. But like the way that they do it and incorporate um, using, you know, the slight horror element um, to help portray that of like, you know, like men are intrigued by women's bodies, you know, when they want it for sex and like when they're interested. But then like as soon as like one thing is off or like something's, you know, different then they're, they get, Oh, they're grossed out. Or, Oh, do you have a disease? Is it contagious? Oh and yeah. They, like, they say that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Disease comes up like three, I think three or four times in this movie. Yeah. So like this recurring theme of like, yeah, like using this transformation to like, you know, put emphasis on this subject that has been shown in various other films and is like very true in real life of, especially in that age. Um, the way they incorporated that throughout the film, I thought was really great. But yeah, I mean, overall, I enjoyed this film quite a bit. The only other note I wanted to throw out was um, they, they take, you know, mermaid lore. And uh, in this one, they're, they're very vague about it. Like we get some more oh, yeah. mermaid lore in the lore. but A um, lot more, yeah. <laughs> but in this one, there's like, you know, we don't get an explanation um, you know, there's this, um, you know, mystery, like, did her parents adopt her? Do the parents know what's going on? Like, any of the stuff. And we don't really get any, you know, we don't get any answers for that kind of stuff. Um, That's true. Which is great. So it's like, I do kind of like, um, you know, again, there's things that we've seen in, in mermaid stories or these uh, coming of age, you know, monster movie hybrids. But this movie does... Um, focuses very little on those elements and focuses more on the story and the very specific horrors of the protagonist in the film. Absolutely. I mean, I really did like that about this film. I'm thinking back to it now and there's a scene where um, Mia falls down and scrapes her like leg open and is, is cut and bleeding. And like, it has like really really nothing to do with what's happening uh i mean the scene really in a sense serves no purpose but it's just like they linger on different scenes in this film and i i really like that like just seeing her like fall and hurt herself and like her frustration with why was i running and why was i doing this Mm -hmm. like i don't know it's like very real human feelings and like i like that they linger on that more than lore i mean because the fact is i guess they're kind of thinking the audience going in is like oh yeah we know what mermaids are like we know what these things are we don't need to know what like what a mermaid is or she doesn't need to go on google and search what is a mermaid you know and have one of those scenes like we don't need that because like they're just assuming like hey people know what this stuff is already like and i thought that was really um good choice actually 
Yeah, like they spent, like I said, like spending a lot more time on, you know, I think what is more horrific in the movie, or at least doing a good job of portraying the the real life stuff to be more horrifying than the actual like body horror stuff that we're seeing. But it's like, you know, again, like using similar tropes from like, you know, other mermaid stories, like things like that. Like, I mean, even between this movie and the lore, there's both containing a shot of a mermaid in a teal bathtub like very specific but both these movies have that but then i like um that this movie kind of takes a little extra afterwards um last thing i'll say is i love the image of her laying in her bedroom as it's like somewhat filled with water um and like the things in her room are floating and she's like kind of just like tossing and turning in it and like feeling better I feel like that's uh, the most visually interesting scene of the film for me. That was a great shot, like her little teddy bear floating in the water and stuff. Like she's moved on from her, whatever her childhood or her previous life, and she's now ready to take on this new one. And like, it's all washed away. I love, I love that scene. Yeah. Overall, pretty good movie. I had had this uh, movie sitting on my list for a hot minute Um, So I'm glad we got to check it out, but to uh, close out these movie series that we are doing, um, the the movies have been getting progressively gayer, and we are going to talk about the gayest one. Um, Let's go ahead and get into into the next movie of the episode. I'm in. The Lore, again, released in 2016. Well, it was released on Christmas in Poland in 2015, actually. Um, directed by, let's see if I can get this, Agnieszka Smokinowska. <laughs> wow. Is the director of this movie. Only time I'm going to attempt that one. Um, <laughs> written by uh, Robert Balesto. This is a Polish film again we have uh two teenage mermaids that are uh discovered in the sea by this disco band they are a disco band for this um random disco nightclub and the girls of course because they are uh even more than mermaids they are like more sirens i suppose would be um if we want to get a little more specific on the monster classifications here that's true um because their their bodies aren't like their bottom half aren't like fish like their tails are like more eel like, which was a conscious choice um, when they were making this movie. Um, it, I couldn't find the detail on the tails from Blew My Mind, but the prosthetic tails in this movie are six feet long and weighed fifty pounds um, when they wow. were using the real ones. And then there are shots of uh, CGI. Uh, yeah, like the one on the beach. Yeah, so there's there's a few in there, but um, but yeah, so these are uh, more siren esque because they seduce the band to let them on the shore and take them in, um, because these girls they they're just uh they're killing and swimming to America and they say hey let's uh stop here for a bit, and um that takes us into this um this is a musical we covered it in horror musical month um quite a few months ago. If people know me, obviously, my name is underscore daddy disco on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I love disco. It's one of my favorite things ever. And I love that we have a uh, disco horror 
that is um, very queer, takes on some very interesting themes, but is also just a audacious, weird ass film. So had you it's seen wild. That? Yeah. Had, had you seen it before? No, honestly, I hadn't seen this movie. Uh, I knew pretty much nothing about it outside of the fact that there was probably a mermaid in it because of the poster and because you recommended it uh, as like a pair for blew my mind. And so I put this movie on and, you know, uh, it starts off and there's a little bit of singing on the beach or whatever um, when he's playing guitar and they're singing in the water and everything. And I still at that point didn't realize it was a musical. Then they're like in the club and they're singing and they like the boss is walking around and everything. And I still didn't realize it was a musical. And then once we meet <laughs> the girls and they go like shopping and experience <laughs> everything in the world and everyone starts singing and dancing about like their experience. I was like, oh, my God this is a musical. Like I was like, it's, then I was like, no, I realize now that everything has been singing, but I didn't realize it until that moment. I was like, Oh my gosh. So good. Yeah. The, um, we don't have as many horror musicals as there should be. Um, we should have many more of them, but like, I mean, yeah, this is a good, I would say like a good 50, 50 split between, you know, um, you know regular dialogue but then so much music they cover a few real songs but then there's also um original songs mixed in as well which i also enjoy yeah and and yeah so it's like like you said it's like we get a little singing on the beach like the girls uh golden and silver they are singing to the band to like let them on and like you said the guitar player was also singing on the beach but then um we get launched into of course um them the disco band covering i feel love by donna summers one of the best disco songs ever made and um and then i was like oh yes i was like this is what we're in for um the, <laughs> the music uh for the most part in this movie slaps real hard i agree i agree even even the weirder tracks that you know like again like they do have like original tracks in here that are you know, more about like, you know, the characters actually singing about the situation and the, the feelings that they have. Um, the way that they, they mix the, the music in is uh, really great. And I remember the first time I watched this, I thought it took place on a cruise ship and I still kind of wish it did. But I mean, oh. Disco Nightclub yeah. is still great, but I thought it was a cruise ship because like the specific energy of this club is really funny to me and it feels like a cruise ship. It is very strange. I didn't think of a cruise ship, but now that you've put that in my head, I, I could see what you mean by that, honestly. This club is very, like, specific, you know? It's like the, everything that happens in this club is like, that's the club to be. Like, that's the place the band always is playing and, like, the place that everyone goes to. Like, it's mm-hmm. very interesting. Yeah, because they're like, they're like the house band. So, like, I guess maybe Cruise Ship would have been too on the nose with having a movie about singing sirens. <laughs> so, maybe it might have been too on the nose. But, um, but yeah, this, like, just, like, very funny vibe. Like, I like, um, like, later on, there's a song performance, and they kind of just, like, go around the, the club a little bit. And it's like, you always see the employees in the background, like, also dancing, having a good time. Like, they're always, yes. like, dancing and singing along which adds to the musical effect as well. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's um the in like the manager like just screams sleazy club manager. Um. Oh or- yeah, and all his his dialogue like that scene when you first meet him and he's walking around the club that you were just talking about too, like the people in the background are kind of dancing and singing along. Every time he talks to someone, he's like kind of a dick. <laughs> he's like, this isn't good. What's that smell? What's this? What is that? I don't like that. Like the whole time. And like, he's like, what's going on in the kitchen? And they're like, we're cooking. He's like, okay. Like, it's <laughs> just like, I don't know something about him. Just like, oh, he's that, he's that kind of guy. You just expect him to barge in at any moment. No one's surprised that he is like barging around and telling them what to do. They're just like, oh yeah, he's just the boss. Yeah, and then, like, whenever the bandmates are, like, introducing him to, like, Golden and Silver, it's just, like, so funny how, like, you know, everybody's so accepting of, like, whatever's going on. They're like, okay, these girls are obviously not human, um, but, like... Yeah, but it's but, cool. But it's cool, <laughs> like, because, like, yeah, he's, like, asking what smells like fish, and then, you know, it's the girls, which is a recurring theme throughout this movie. Um, and, yeah. And it's, like, when he meets them... And they're, like, showing, like, one, at first, like, you know, they don't have, like, when they have their, like, human legs, they don't have, like, genitalia or, like, yes. or, or assholes either, which yeah, I they don't have thought anything. was really interesting. That scene was so weird. I, I had no idea what to expect, I tell you, when I came into this movie. So, like... <laughs> I, seeing that scene i was like what the fuck is happening like i was like what am i watching but like as it goes on i'm like this is also kind of the best thing i've ever seen like <laughs> it's also like what is happening but also i love whatever is happening like this is really weird like yeah it the the movie does a really good job of um you know giving this effect that it feels like a like a folk tale or like a fable because like we have the opening credits and it's like animated uh titles cards before we get into like the actual film and it's like kind of being like hey this is like a fairy tale a dark fairy tale story that you're getting into and it's just like you just got to get along for the ride the story is not really going to make sense but you just got to be in it there are definitely a lot of parts that I was like, I don't fully understand what just happened, but also like, okay, like I'm in it. <laughs> like, let's, let's give it a go. Yeah. You, you have to be like the, the manager. Like he was just like, I mean, all right, I guess they, they're, they're mermaids. Cause they're just like, look, and they pour water on their legs and see their real <laughs> yeah. tails. And he's just like, well, all right, uh, let's get them some clothes so they can sing and they can make us some money. Like, he, he, yeah, not questioning anything. I, uh, I really like the way that they can go back and forth in this film uh, so easily. Just dry out and then they turn to legs. Yeah. And it's and it's interesting, you know, because this, you know, we'll we'll get into this a little bit more um, when we kind of get into some of the queer themes of this film. But of like, you know, the fact that they treat them as if like, you know, they are these siren creatures. So it's like when they have legs, you know, they make it a point, you know, Golden kind of makes a reference to it. But then the bass player, too, of like, those aren't your real legs. Like, those aren't real. You're not an actual human. But then also, like, when you go deeper into that, it's like they have no genitalia. And so he's like, well, how can I fuck you with these fake legs? You're not you know real so it's yeah. like that's where these these trans readings get, oh, start yeah. coming in you know definitely i mean when uh, we're just diving right into that but when um yeah i, when, I said we weren't going to but we're gonna dive in <laughs> a little bit a little bit but it's because i mean she basically is like i don't have a vagina 
And he's like, but I want to have sex with you. And so then she's like, I will have bottom surgery to have a vagina so you can have sex with me. I mean, that is like one of the most trans things I've ever seen in like a non-directly trans film. I was like, they, they show the surgery in the movie. Like they actually yeah. show it happening. It's obviously completely ridiculous because like they're cutting just the whole lower half of her off. But yeah. like the fact that they like have that done and also like really heartbreaking, really what happens where he then doesn't even appreciate that she did that for really for him you know um and it ends up being really sad but like that is i literally wrote in my review on letterbox which is only like a couple sentences long but i wrote like this is the most like trans i've ever seen in in a like cis film like because it's it's so directly obviously a bottom surgery for like and i've i i can't think of another example that's ever done it like that yeah because it's like there's there's a you know sad scene earlier in the film where it's like, you know, they're having this conversation, like, you know, she's like, kiss him, like, you know, she's starting to have the feelings, and he, like, outright says, like, I only see you as a fish, you don't see you as a real girl, because you don't got real legs or a real vagina. And yeah, then she, and, and then like, she pours, you know, but when she has a tail, she has a vagina, and she's like, eh, eh, what about now? And he was like, nah, I, I need, I need human vagina, I need real vagina. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, like, like so, like, trans, re- I mean, I, it just was, like, glaringly, to me, I was like, oh my god, like, I, this is exciting, because I've never seen this. It, it kind of made me think about, like, I don't know if this is an accurate comparison or not, but, like, I also, like, because you just mentioned, it's, it's literal bottom surgery, um, yeah. But throughout the film as well, like when they're using these quote unquote fake legs that they have when they're not in tail form as like kind of like almost like a um, if it was someone going female to male, then it would be like that's almost like a binding situation. It's like they kind of bind their true legs, the, the fishtail leg by hiding it with the, the fake human ones. No, I mean, there's so many reads on it. Like, obviously, the vagina one is really direct, so it's easier mm-hmm. to see. But I love I love that thought process, too. Like, they're hiding what they really have, the, like, covering it up with something else that's not real through, you know, like, a kind of magic, of course, in the film. But, like, it's very, very uh, strange. And, and you know, if you notice, like, the other um, character that we meet, uh, Triton, who uh, is some kind of sea creature of some kind, like it doesn't really say, but he had horns that were cut off, you know, and so he doesn't Mm -hmm. have them anymore. And so even that is very much like, you know, you look at like a trans man who um, maybe had top surgery and got those things removed and they have those scars, you know, now, Mm -hmm. and like he just has them on his head. And I thought that was really cool. Shit, I didn't even think about it for Triton, but yeah, you're totally right. You're totally right there. Um, yeah, he's either a similar creature or he's also one, but like basically the other equivalent and saying like, yeah, like you'll lose your voice, like you're not gonna be able to sing, and then if you fall in love with this person, then he marries someone else, you're gonna turn into sea foam. Yeah, um, like he knows all the rules, like yeah. he knows all these like and that, special rules. Yeah, and the, I mean that's the most story you really get out of this movie. Everything just like kind of unfolds <laughs> as. 
a series of like you don't really know how much time has passed like sometimes that it'll be a few days but then sometimes it's like wait this had to have been like a couple weeks later like or like oh yeah i was just say like the ending like when the all of a sudden he's getting married it's like a flash and he's getting married to this other girl i'm like well that had to have been a while that mm-hmm. time that has passed like wow like okay yeah i mean and that is you know the weaker is one of the weaker areas of this film i won't say the storytelling itself is weak because it as far as themes go it's written really well but as far as like you know like they never really gave any reason that silver would actually fall in love with him it's like after they have that really sad conversation they go into like a cutesy like love song performance and it's like okay the song is cute but it's like this is like the only like semblance of them falling in love after he already just said i don't appreciate you for who you are now so it's like you know whatever is what i'm saying there but I mean, as far as the like the rest of the film goes and the themes that they're portraying, I feel like are uh, written pretty strongly. It's a really interesting film. I mean, and like you said about like not really explaining a lot of lore, like there's the bit where everyone is suddenly sick and it says like that smell was poison. Like and it's kind of like, oh, like were they emitting a kind of poison to like people who are having sex with them or like around them mm-hmm. or like their voices made you sick and now like ever it was almost like they were a drug and and now that they were gone everyone was like getting sick without them or because of them it was very very interesting uh and they they never really talk about it after that because they come back and they just kind of are like fine but like what was up with that you know like i i still don't fully understand that scene i don't think mm-hmm. like it's very different very interesting like stuff happened that i was like i don't like what does that mean yeah the the movie like turns into like requiem for a dream for a second like they like all look like they're like junkies like all strung out and sick and um i think it's it has something to do with their their um like hypnotic seduction abilities because like they have a way of like seducing and having influence over people in various degrees because like there's the scene where uh golden is like stopped by a cop and then she like seduces the cop into having sex with her because it was like you know, oh yeah it goes into like siren mythology that like when they sing they would lure you know sailors to the island or whatever to kill them so it's like <laughs> that scene was wild so so i feel like since the movie itself is a musical and they perform with this house band throughout the movie they are constantly just being um seduced by the two girls and like i mean basically that's like what this whole movie is like you know the the band is you know the the drummer and singer they're like kind of dating and then the the bass player like still lives with them because they're all band together but like they're this weird weird thing you could almost look at them like a thruple maybe and then all of a sudden i can see something like that and then all of a sudden these other two girls come in and just like kind of cause chaos between them between you know the the bandmates you know put strains on their relationship uh relationship between the the girls and the uh band play bandmates so it's like that's another queer theme i guess well maybe not even inherently queer theme but another uh sexual theme of you know like this is like this like giant polyamorous conglomerate of these five and like these oh, girls yeah. just like influencing the the way that all these different dynamics change. Absolutely. Cause I think there's actually a scene where the bass player 
um, Matik, or uh, I think it's how you pronounce his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was the one who that she fell in love with. But like, there's a scene I think where he's actually sleeping with the singer too. There's or like doing stuff with the singer too. Like I I'm fairly sure that that I saw that happen in one of the one of the shots. Like there's a lot of like sexual tension mm-hmm. between all the characters in this film, even like um one of them makes a comment like oh go fuck your fish or whatever like i later on in the film like another character yeah says that too like there's a lot of like oh like everyone is actually sleeping with them even though they don't particularly show maybe what what actually happened because there's only a few sexual encounters that they show Mm -hmm. one of them being the uh cop one that you mentioned which was the like lesbian scene uh which was um fantastic uh they're like playing fake guns with their hands and then they end up having sex and she's like in the fishnets oh gee that was genius i love that right. love that uh, uh yeah that was so good oh yeah such a great scene and again like it's it's interesting because like in that scene it's like golden actually like seduces her because the police is you know looking for golden for because she's been killing people and they found the body like she was actually a police officer because they later show uh, that gal on TV reporting another yeah. death. Um, so it's like Golden, yeah. you know, uses uses her, you know, abilities to arouse her. But it's also just this ridiculous, um, should not be as sexy as it is, lesbian, uh, siren sex scene. Like she's literally licking the like fin. Yes, the I shark, know. The shark and she's like parts. riding on her tail. Oh my god. She's riding her tail and like Golden has her like actual like siren teeth out and she's like kind of like nibbling at her but the like oh it's such a great scene and yeah then wearing fishnets on top of it. I like I remember the first time I saw this I go of course. <laughs> I go why wouldn't you? <laughs> Yeah, no, it was so great. And, and, you know, that scene kind of would made me realize that like a lot of what I was saying wasn't probably real or it was like an interpretation of the story. Like, so in that scene where they're, they're singing and they're kind of in the alleyway and they're like chasing each other and they're like holding their hands out like guns, like pointed, pointing at each other. Um, there obviously is no weapons. There's no real chasing. And the next thing you know, they're having sex, basically, really. They're at her house having sex. And it's like, uh, at that point, the police officer pulls out a real gun and mm-hmm. has a real gun and is like holding it to her head. And they're like having sex. And then nothing happens. And then they just go back. So I'm like, what was, was there actually a chase? Was that like a metaphor for like a real chase? But they, you know, like the chase that they had of like, Oh, we're chasing each other. Huh? Or was it actually like really happening? Like there's a lot of scenes in this movie where I was like, I don't think this is a literal, like, I don't think this is actually what happened, you know? Well, I, I believe that scene is real. I, I think that's that so scene, interesting. I, I think that scene is real because again, I think golden like seducer to like throw the cop off her off of her from, you know, like, suspicion from the killing even though she gets I, exposed that she is right right siren i guess i meant the gun the gun thing i guess is what i had in mind like about the like well because at first they... it was flirty and i feel like maybe during the sex scene the cop like kind of had a moment of being like wait no i was coming to check out this murder suspect not have sex with her, and like maybe had a moment of clarity or something okay i feel like that's real uh like you said like everybody is like kind of involved with these girls in one way or another or also just like inciting like jealousy like because like the singer has a like daydream while she's having sex with the drummer that she's also a mermaid 
but she has like more of like a like motherly like obsession with them than sexual. Yeah, that was super wild. Yeah. But but she's jealous though, because I remember thinking I was like, did the drummer have a sexual encounter with them, or is she just paranoid because she's jealous right, of right, them? Right. And, and they he, didn't and show it, but because like because like, the drummer throughout the movie, he's mainly grossed out by him. He's not really yeah. attracted to him. So I feel like in that scene. She was just paranoid, like, "Oh, are you are you fucking him?" And he's like, "No, I actually ate some fish earlier." Like, that at least the way that I read that scene, but, I could believe that. Yeah, but I mean, absolutely. yeah, obviously, like, because this movie is also described as a fantasy as well. Yeah, I mean, like to a point, any musical isn't every movement isn't going to be literal, obviously, because there's the dancing and stuff a lot. Yeah, but there's also scenes where like uh, they'll, you know, Mystique gets pulled into like a tub and then all of a sudden they're dancing underwater and then they're on stage singing like exactly. and stuff. And it's like, obviously, that's not that wasn't what happened. But like, you know, or like the scene like I you mentioned, I just kind of mentioned it too, like where they're singing together their love song on stage stage but the whole bar is empty and they're the only ones there like did they actually perform at the club at night or was that just like a exactly our interpretation of showing us that they fell in love you know what i mean like it doesn't really explore that yeah i feel like it's a it's a they and i like that they do a good combination of like kind of both because like again we do have these real life musical performances but then we also have these ones where the the characters are like frozen in place you know and the girls are singing around them oh that was genius i love those scenes so like yeah um while we're while we're on the subject what's your favorite musical number from the movie oh wow um that's honestly really hard for me to answer but that scene where uh they're first kind of like all hanging out at the house and it's very clear um that uh silver is in love golden is upset and she's like she kind of like time is frozen and she walks Mm -hmm. through the whole apartment and no one is moving um and everyone's like doing something but they're all frozen and she's just kind of walking through having like her solo moment and i thought that was genius and then also like um silver turns her head and looks though so it's like silver knows what's happening even though no one else does Mm -hmm. that um that whole like shot setup was genius i don't know if that's my favorite song necessarily or performance but that um that one just really stuck with me um i guess because of like the way that it was shot and the, like what we saw happening was really really cool yeah it has great like you know emotional implications to what's going on exactly as well. yeah um mm-hmm. i i did mention this scene uh the first time i talked about the lore here on the podcast but um the my favorite one by far is um the scene where it's the girls first time like performing lead for the band like because they had been backup singers for like the main singer for the other ones but uh, the song is abracadabra it's when they're in yes. the like black like battle armor looking <coughs> suits and so good. the the green neon lights and it's this like crazy techno dancing banger one it's like heavy looking and super dark kind oh of. i love this scene so much like it's oh, just it like amazing. it's them having just like this is their like fucking solo debut or not solo but like lead debut you know just the style the shots i mean their their choreography together like everything about the scene is just fucking lit and then <laughs> and then it like again like kind of playing on this um you know hypnosis aspect through their music 
we like see at one point like you know people are going crazy but then they just start fucking people are making out they're grinding on each other on the floor while the song's going on and then everything kind of slows down and everybody's just like swarming the girls while they're performing oh, the song that shot was genius because they had to have played it at like recorded at a different speed because everyone is like moving in slow motion but they're clearly they clearly weren't moving in slow motion because of the way their their movements are like they're swinging stuff in the air and stuff but the girls are still perfectly in sync like singing the song so they had to have like sang it faster and then slowed it down it's so cool that scene was uh that was a really cool shot as well a lot of the timing stuff that they did and like the the focus where it's like something's happening at a different time or like Mm -hmm. not happening was really really cool in this movie yeah yeah i've um i've I've shot a few scenes like that uh to to get that slow-mo effect yeah they have to shoot it extra fast and mouth the words fast for it to match up with the lyrics but then for the dance but like so they're singing fast but then they would dance at normal speed to where the dance moves are slowed down but the lyrics are on point it's a tough thing to do they absolutely kill it um i mean this movie is i mean loaded with like style and you know it's like i like having the contrast between these films even though i wish blew my mind had like a smidge more style here and there um, yeah they showed moments of it and then i was like oh you know what i could have used a little bit more of that but then like again the lore is a musical so they are going full on like i mean it feels like this is the polish version of a baz Luhrmann film <laughs> <laughs> that's funny i honestly i liked watching these two by each other i had already seen blew my mind and i watched the lore recently because of this podcast and i'm super glad i did but i rewatched. um blew my mind again like last night or something and i had just recently seen the lure and i was like wow these are films are are honestly they're kind of so different you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. you know when you don't watch them you just say oh there's mermaids oh it's queer or it's trans and you know you know admittedly you can say this one's a musical and that one's more of like a drama or whatever but like Mm -hmm. they are so different like I, it's it's easier to pick apart the things that are different than them than similar, honestly, because there's so many like different layers to this film and that other film that are that are uh, in contrast with each other. But um, that's what makes it both good to me. I gave both these star uh, both these films five stars because I like them both so much. Yeah, they 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 play really well. Like they they juxtapose each other in the right areas. But then, you know, where you see some of the parallels, but then also seeing like just two radically different takes on uh, the mermaid lore on uh, these like coming of age, coming of sexual age stories um, in contrast. And um, to kind of close out the lore, I do want to go back into, um, you know, towards the end where we do get this um, the, the scene where Silver gets her leg transplant and then um, kind of just like. The, there's this general theme throughout the film that people only treat them as humans when it's like convenient but then mm, any other time sure. then it's like well no they're they're creatures you know so just like kind of like this idea of like you know like the way that they treat them as because they are minors but then also you know not you know true women um if you want to put it that way but it, yeah at the same time it's like they only are looked at that way when you know it kind of just shows when people are willing to adjust their lines for when it suits them, you know? Oh yeah. That is so real. And like, I'm sure it has a lot to do with like, uh, 
feminism and things like that when they were writing it but i could not help myself but think of it as just such a trans thing like oh it's con- they're you know they're women when it's convenient and other times they're not precisely like exactly like you know like oh yeah like you're you're a woman if i want to fuck you but then like if we want to be out and about like no 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 i i I can't be with you because you're not a real woman yet you know so like it makes that that surgery scene like super uh heartbreaking there's also a really i mean there's um moments of blood throughout the movie but then this is like we get this movie takes a sharp turn into just full-on body horror i mean she's getting sawed her like tail off on this ice table so she didn't even get real anesthesia. He just put her on ice like a fish. <laughs> I was like, Jesus. I know. It was, it was genius, though, the way they did that. Oh, my God. That scene was incredible. I didn't notice this like the first two times I've seen this. But then watching the this most recent one, the other girl is like conscious and like looks over. So yeah, I have, like she's getting the tail. So, yeah, like I have questions about her. Did she find this back alley doctor and goes, oh, my God, I want to be a, a mermaid. I want to be a siren. And then he goes, oh, just your luck. Like this other mermaid, she wants real legs. You guys are good. <laughs> good old switcheroo. And it's like, I want to know that girl's story now, too. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. Like and also like if she gets the tail, can she then turn it into legs like the first girl could <laughs> like or is it just a tail now or could, does she get the teeth? Does she get the siren stuff or is yeah she just... does she get the powers and stuff i don't who knows it doesn't but, say but but very interesting because obviously like again like th- this kind of stuff must be normal in this world because the doctor is also like oh yeah i can do a, a leg tail uh surgery like yeah i can totally do that and it's just like so well yeah <laughs> and that scene is genius too because like you know we already know that she can turn the tail into legs so you would think that it would make more sense for them to be in the leg form. But like when you're watching it as a movie and you get to see that scene, it's so much more impactful to have it be the tale. But yeah, like the way that they shot the scene and there's also, of course, she's singing a song while this scene is going on. Um, just uh, everything about it is just like very intriguing and just like points to the small world building things. But then also, um, you know, the tragedy of this movie, this movie does not Ugh. have a happy ending to it. You know, no. um, like we say, he she gets this surgery done. And then, of course, um, he is not not happy. Um, you know, they they try to have sex before she's healed up and then she gets blood all over him. And it's like, well, one, why were you wait it out, you bimbos? But then also, huh. again, like kind of similar to blew my mind, this like theme of like you know men being grossed out by the female body not that this is the same case of like you know they don't ever talk about like periods in this movie but i mean this could kind of be looked at it in that way of like oh well now she has you know proper legs and a vagina like it is scarring but it's also like kind of just the way that they shoot it it's like again like a man responding to the things they don't love about you know the women's bias yeah when it comes absolutely to like i i like that take a lot and i'm gonna bring it back again because like i can't help it as this bottom surgery thing too because like you know it's like she gets this vagina and he's like oh it's still not like good enough like it's not yours like feel, i can tell like it's not right and like it's it i'm still not happy and then goes off and it goes with this other you know um cis woman or whatever in the end or non-fish woman yeah like you like you said like he's just still not satisfied 
and again it is like you know this uh, the the upsetting reality of like you know when a trans person maybe makes these you know adjustments before they're ready to you know make these decisions you know so it's like yeah maybe this is you know what silver wanted but not in this way obviously like you know she thought she would become a you know full-fledged human fall in love be happy and then it's like you know but she's young you know like maybe that was a tough time to make this decision you know before you know making it for the right reasons yeah uh yeah sad ending because then um he marries that other gal the the songs at the wedding great um there's like oh yeah there's this other random duo that we've never seen the whole movie but then they perform at the at the wedding uh really great song um really like that one it's called give me this night the the soundtrack to this movie is on spotify so oh, good um, good definitely, I, I definitely recommend it <laughs> it's so good like i i very much do love the music in this movie like a lot and the way that it's used and then like at the wedding the bass player and his new wife they're playing a song together and they're happy at the wedding but the song is everybody is sad everybody is uh in bad moods like all this thing it's like this like happy song it's just like everybody's sad everybody's depressed and it's super yes that scene is great and then another song just because i know i feel us wrapping up a little bit on this but another song i want to talk about is that punk scene you know Mm, where they like go and perform in that uh, and that with trident's punk band and all that they tell golden like oh you're actually not good enough like you like you need practice you're not very good at singing like damn like what Oh, right. Like after and she's just so upset. Yeah. And especially too, because I think it's it was a funny decision to make Triton a punk singer because like we learned earlier, he's similar to them. He tore his horns off, probably lost whatever abilities he had. I'm sure he could sing like they could before, but like now he still does, but he's obviously not singing anymore. Um, but like, yeah. kind of, which is great, though, because like, you know, punk has been a genre that's like, hey, you don't need to have a good voice for punk as long as you can express yourself so it's like exactly yeah uh i thought that was a cool detail to like yeah have him be this punk singer and like yeah she's trying to let go you know and like oh yeah maybe maybe you're not quite there yet and then so it's like golden's like well fuck i don't have anything now my sister's gone and now they're telling me i'm not a good singer and it's like what so yeah yeah and then in the fucking end her sister turns to fucking sea foam and she kills the fucking bass player and then runs off into the sea and the the like mom lady who's kind of, I just called her a mom lady, but the singer in the band, she sees her as she goes in the water and she kind of gives her a look of like, like sadness, but also like understanding and she doesn't stop her. She doesn't say anything. She just sees her leave and she like almost like she understands everything. She's like, I understand that why you did this. And like, it's very weird. Like that scene. Yeah. Very, very sad. Yeah. It's tough because Triton does explain that like if Silver eats him, then she's good. She has a pretty easy way out, but like she is uh, in love with him. And uh, when they're dancing together, she obviously she had to do it before the, the sun came up and um, she had the opportunity. They were slow dancing. She totally could have. And then she's like, no, I love him. I want him to be happy. And then, yeah, turns to sea foam. But then it like it sucks because then, yeah, Golden just kills him like immediately afterwards. It's like, yeah, right. And it's like, well, she's like, you just died for even less now because now he died and you died. <laughs> exactly. So now it's like, you know, makes Silver's death, you know, mean like so much less. Uh, it sucks. 
Um, I know. And the part where he's covered in sea foam, he's like, what the fuck? Yeah, he's just (laughs) like, kind of funny. He's just like, I have wait, I have no idea what's going on. It's like super sad. But then he's like, I think he goes like, what or something like he's so (laughs) confused. And I'm like, damn, they that's almost funny if she didn't just die. (laughs) Yeah, no, um, it's it, it was timed out like pretty perfectly for this moment. Um, but yeah, I've been trying to turn everyone onto this movie. Cause oh, like, I'm going to. If you if you say <laughs> killer disco mermaids, like it's like how can you not want to watch that? This is on Criterion, people. Wow, <laughs> this is That's, art. Yeah, I didn't even realize that, but you're so right. Yeah, that was so. on Criterion. Yeah, super great film. So that's why I definitely had to bring it back onto the show to like give it its proper due. I think it paired, you know, even better with Blew My Mind than it did with Rocky Horror. Um, Good. Oh yeah, yeah. Rocky Horror. Dang. Yeah. So that's that's obviously why the Lord did not get its um, full appreciation the first time around because we spent a lot of time talking Rocky Horror, of course. So yeah, that's the first Redux on this podcast, and um, I might do that for like other films as well. Um, I'll probably have like episodes dedicated to films that maybe if they were in a franchise. Um, and those episodes, I don't get to get in depth with certain movies. So, um, I'm glad that, um, I got to try this idea out and can do it more in the future, but I'm glad that you, um, had a great first experience with it, 10. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So fun. Yeah. It's, uh, it's super weird. And I mean, even what we just talked about doesn't even do the movie justice. Like you, no. you could have listened to this <laughs> with, without seeing it and like, you're still not missing um, the experience. So, um, perfect movie, like to represent this podcast, um, go get yourself, uh, eat you a couple edibles, smoke you some good shit and, um, uh, turn the speakers up real loud with this one. It's, it's a special (laughs) one. Yes. Yeah. So, and as we wrap up this episode, um, the question that I've been asking all the guests as we discuss, um, these queer horror films is, what is it do you think that makes horror uh such a great vehicle to tell queer stories? Um, well, I guess sometimes this sounds dark in my head. I hope it doesn't sound as dark as I'm imagining, but I guess sometimes that reality is kind of can be horror and and I think um, you know, there are a lot of groups of people who who know what I'm talking about as soon as I, I say that. You know, I think uh queer people definitely know what I'm talking about when I say that. I mean, there are things in this world that want to hurt us and want to do these things and seeing ourselves through those kinds of stories feels probably natural, um, Mm. uh, more natural than other things like comedies and things like that. Sometimes maybe if things are hard are harder to see yourself in and you really want to tell this story, the best way to do it sometimes is to use metaphors and horror is the best way for metaphors. I mean, how uh how many christmas queer films can you think of a couple but how many you know horror queer films are there so many more and that's just Mm -hmm. because that's the way that people's stories are being told it just feels right and i'm probably just saying this because i'm a fan but if i'm gonna tell a story i mean i'm gonna want it to be about horror (laughs) like you know like that's Mm -hmm. just like that's what i like that's what i'm into and so maybe there's a little bit more of a queer following for horror than maybe people realize yeah i mean i i think it is you know it's being able to compare yourself that is 
much different than the quote-unquote norm. Um, I yes. like the comparison that you said, like, you know, telling a queer story in a horror versus a comedy because it's like, you know, with not that you can't tell those stories in comedy because that happens, but yeah. it is like, you know, kind of a subject that it's like different that when you um, have this, you know, feeling of being an outsider and different and stuff that it's hard to laugh at yourself or like make fun of yourself more than it would be to, you know, tell these stories about the fears that you encounter every day. You know, because this yeah. is a lot more, you know, specific to um, you as a person versus like, like I said, like being able to tell that story through your fear versus like, like you, you're not always going to be able to laugh at yourself because maybe, you know, it, it doesn't make you feel better. But like being able to like get that fear out, you know, I think can, you know, help help you feel, you know, stronger about the um, situations that you face, like, you know, on a mm -hmm. daily basis being a queer person. Yeah. And also now that we're digging into this conversation, I kind of think that I know I mentioned metaphors, but like if you're a queer person in the 50s and you're trying to tell a story, you can't tell your story about a, you know, a gay man. You can't put that as your story. So what do you do? You you it's not a gay man. It's a it's a monster and no one understands that he's this monster and everyone is afraid of him. And then in the end, you know, he's not really a monster, but like that's just the way people are viewing him. And, you know, now you have this gay story that's beautifully told, but they weren't able to tell it using what they really wanted to. And that's why they used that as a metaphor. And I think that even though now there is admittedly a little bit more of a platform for some of those stories, I think coming back to horror just feels right for people because that's where we've seen ourselves the most. Yeah. Ooh, that, that's so great. Like, I'm, I'm glad that you did bring that up. Because when, when you think about it, it's like, you know, the horror genre has always been had like inherent roots in being queer. And like, like you yeah. said, like the, the roots of, you know, why they would tell it that way is, I mean, so perfect, you know, just because it's also, you know, the, the great metaphor of like, you know, like the way that how you sometimes feel about whenever people make you feel like you are the monster, you know and yeah. being able to tell those stories and like yeah like hey yeah this person like yeah is frankenstein gay no but is the concept of frankenstein gay yes you know like exactly. so it's like yeah you know it, it totally makes sense in, in that way um so i i love that thank you yeah i'm glad that it got here <laughs> this conversation <laughs> Me too, because like, like I said at the beginning of the episode, like um, that's why I want to take time to like you know focus on these on these topics within the horror genre. Because again, like you know, I bring up um, most of the time whenever I'm you know talking about um, you know my my queer reads on certain films, it's more for comedy's sake a lot of the time because I like to you know I, I i like to be that guy that's like oh are, you're reaching a bit and i'm like you're damn right i am you know like <laughs> yeah, that, that's, i am reaching like you know like um see see my episode about tremors where i basically just like talk about it being a, a rom-com um, oh i mean i totally get it i totally get it i i literally i've tweeted sometimes just stuff where i'm like oh yeah jason trans like you jason Voorhees, yeah he's a trans man and they're like there's no argument i'm just stating it like <laughs> it <laughs> exactly. just is true exactly nah. um so it's like you know that's usually uh whenever i get to talk about these things so i'm glad that i could um 
through the uh, selection of films from all the wonderful guests, it's been great to, um, you know, really dive in and talk about, you know, these subjects for, for what they really are, you know, but also again, like why I feel like as I've watched more horror, especially in the past five years, um, you know, which is like, you know, kind of, uh, in line, like between like where I fell in love with horror, but then like also around the same time when I came out as bisexual. So it's like, you know, um, the, the, the past five years, I definitely look at film in a different way and, uh, was, uh, glad to be able to talk about these things in a more head on fashion. So I appreciate Hell you yeah. coming on. Oh yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is super fun. Please invite me back anytime. I would love to smoke more joints and talk about more movies with you. Oh yeah, for sure. You are definitely welcome back at any time and we will definitely make that happen in the future. In the meantime, where can the people follow you on the internets and uh, what are you working on? Absolutely. Um, well, I'm working on a book called Transploitation with my partner, Ren Crane, and we are uh, currently working on a website version of that as well, which I'm hoping to have out soon. We're going to be announcing some pretty big stuff involving that book, uh, hopefully in the next month or so around when this podcast is out. And um, I'm also a musician. I have music available online. You can find pretty much all my links to all my music and my writings um, on my social media. I'm at Blue Iris 04. Um, I'm mainly a Twitter user. I am also on Instagram. And you can follow my book at Transpoint Book on Twitter. And I will have links to um, all those things in the show notes. And uh, so please make sure you are uh, checking 10 out and everything they are doing. So what is next for the podcast? Well, um, we're going to go ahead and do another month um, on a debatably queer icon. We're talking about Satan and the devil all month long next month um, as we talk about religious horrors uh, and specifically involving our dark red daddy. So I'm very excited to get into those episodes. So make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. New episodes every Tuesday. Um, you can find this on any podcast platform. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, it would be lovely if you went on and left five stars and some sweet words. I would definitely appreciate that so we can get this podcast into more people's ear holes. But that's going to go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Make sure you are subscribed. Be following the Twitter page at Bloody Blunt CC and following my personal Twitter page at underscore Daddy Disco. Join us next week as we talk The Last Exorcism and The Exorcism of Emily Rose. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.